you walk away from God, you won't be able to hold on to anything. You see, it's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy of your soul that there's things here that, that belong to you. That there's possessions here that you can hold on to because not only are all those things going to pass away, but so will you and I. Everything that I have is in Jesus. And if it's not in Him, I don't have it. There's no reason to try and fool yourself into thinking, well, I'll just hold on to what I've got because the day of God, your hand will be able to grip it any longer. If you'll lay up your treasure in heaven, moths can't corrupt it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. It won't rust away. It won't wear away. It'll be there for eternity. Amen. Jesus is everything to me. Amen. Aren't you glad to be in the presence of Jesus today? Amen. You, you make it all right in life without being in my presence today. But you don't want to miss the opportunity to be in the Lord's presence. Amen. It's so good to be with you this morning. And the Bible tells us that with every temptation, He makes a way of escape. Now, I know some of you smell fried chicken this morning. Your way of escape is not out the door of the foyer, so you stay in here. you got to come to the altar first, all right? Amen. I don't any amens on that at all. I don't want anybody heading back trying to get chicken. Book of Revelation, chapter 2. If you'd like to go back there with me again today. Book of Revelation, chapter 2. We'll, we'll pick up where we, where we left off last week. We'll pick up verse 18. As the Lord's attention and the, the handwriting of John turns to a different church. Verse 18 says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like into a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce thy servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. <coughs> and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. So this is what happens when you don't repent. Behold, I'll cast her into a bed. Them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he, which searches, searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of thy tyrant, as many as have not this doctrine, 
and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which you have already. Hold fast till I come. Anybody got anything worth having in the house today? Anybody ever found anything worth having from God in the house today? If you've got it, hold on to it. Hold on to it until Jesus comes. I'm going to preach to you again this morning about the last church standing. Would you lift up your hands and worship the Lord with me? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. Because God, there's none like you. There is no other God in the heavens. None other God on the earth. We lift up the name of Jesus above every name. And we give you glory. God, speak to us today. Change us today. Lord, let the Holy Ghost cause us to hold on until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for God's word. Amen. Over the last, last few weeks, we have, we have walked through these letters that the Lord had the Apostle John, the, 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 the Apostle that received this revelation and wrote this book, he had him write these letters to the various churches that he mentioned. And to each and every one of these churches, he had a message. He had something that they needed to know, and you and I need to know it today, too. Because in just a little while in this book, the church is going to be called up into the heavens. And in just a chapter or so, the church of the living God's not going to be down here any longer to be a witness to all the terrible things that are going to happen down here. We're going to be called up together to meet the Lord in the air and be with Him forever. So, so I want to get this message today. I want to get the message that God would have the church to receive so that I can go home. Church, this world, uh, it ain't got nothing for me. I want to go home to be with the Lord. I want to go to heaven. And I believe with everything, every fiber of my being that the Lord is coming soon. To that first church, the church in Ephesus, and he told them to repent and to go back and do the things they first did when they first fell in love with him. We need to remember who it is we fell in love with. We need to remember the things that we used to do when we first fell in love with God. And go back and do those things all over again because that's what he's after. He doesn't take second place. He's not your boyfriend. He's not the man on the side. He's your one and only, or he's not yours at all. And he wants us to go back and fall in love with him all over again. The next church, the church of Smyrna, the word tells us that we need to hold on and we need to endure to the end. No matter what persecution comes, no matter what suffering comes, no matter how bad it gets, even if it takes you to the end of your life, do not ever give up on God. Last week was... It was a little interesting because the Lord took the church all the way back into the earliest part of Scripture, all the way back 
to the early part of the, of the Old Testament uh, and it reminded him of a man named Balaam who tried his best to get around what God would have him to do and what God would have him to say. And, and he would he would try his best to, to look at it in a different way, somehow get a different perspective to, to get what he wants. But there there is only one way. There is only one truth and everything else is false. And you gotta love it and you gotta believe it and you gotta obey it. If you want to make heaven your home, don't try and see it another way. Just obey God. Just obey His Word. And so we come to this church, the church in, in Thyatira today. And, and what's interesting about the, the opening part of this, and you see this throughout most of these churches, the Lord describes himself in a different way every time that he opens up uh, the letter. Whenever he's saying, this is who's writing. Well, we know it's Jesus. We know it's uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We got that in chapter 1. But for every one of these letters, there was some attribute of himself that he wanted to make clear to them in the opening part of the letter. And, and so we see here that, that he tells us that he is a flame of fire. And that his feet are like feet of brass. All throughout scripture, a, a flame of fire and, and, and brass were always images of judgment. They were images of mercy coming to an end and judgment coming to the house. God is coming to deal with something in this church. You see this call over and over to repent and turn from your ways, but you already see in the first few verses that I read to you that God has come to draw a line in the sand. God has come to put an end to something that is taking place in this church. He's coming to take care of something once and for all. Once and for all. Now, in the context of kind of where we are, I've told you there's there's a couple of things going on here in Scripture. One is the fact that these churches were, were physically present in that day, in those cities. You know, de de geographically, that's where they were. And some of these names mentioned were, were men and women that existed in that day. And, and undoubtedly, there were problems and things that the Lord was dealing with for them in that very hour. But you also see that these problems in the church recur over time and in ages that come over the years all the way back to from the time that John wrote it until now. And so we looked at last week that it sure seems like the things that, that the Lord dealt with and that John described were things that were there when, when the church got married to the state. When, when the government and, and the church were, were joined together in unholy matrimony, the church of Pergamos, they, they, they're not the real church, we understand that, but, but the, of the day there was this, this effort by the government to, to bring it into one with, with religion, nothing good came from it. And so if that is fact true, then this period would follow that period. It would come right after that, right after... You, you see the church of Rome being set up and you see both the, the, the secular government and the spiritual government being the same. And so this would come on the heels of that. And one of the earliest things that this false church did, we could preach all day long on that. I'd be with Brandon Shelton before I was there. 
One of the earliest things that the, this church did was introduce the doctrine of the Trinity. Introduce the doctrine of the, the Trinity. And this, this doctrine struck to the heart and the foundation of what the church is all about. If you want to bring a house down, don't start at the top. Start at the foundation. If you can spoil the foundation, the rest of the house is going to come down around it. You don't have to do any more damage. This one singular false doctrine struck to the very foundation of the church. What is the foundation? Well, it goes back before Acts chapter 2. It goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy when we hear an echo throughout the ages. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. What did the doctrine of the Trinity do? Just a little aside there. You'll never find that word in Scripture. It's not there. It dilutes God. It waters it down. You can't take one of anything and divide it into anything else and still have one when you're left over. I don't care how small a slice you try to take off a loaf of bread. Once you take off a slice, it's not a whole loaf any longer. You can't divide it into anything else and it still be the same thing. And so it was after Rome came to power that they got the when they got the authority of the government and all of its legions of soldiers that they installed this wicked doctrine. And then they just went right back to doing what they were doing before, which is persecuting those that believe the truth. They tried to pretend like it was the truth. They, they lied to the masses of the world and said that it was the truth. But they had disturbed the very foundation of the church and then sought out to destroy all of those that still held on to what they had. And yet when Jesus speaks to this church, mind you, how does he identify himself? He says, these things saith the Son of God. The thing that that church was squabbling over and they were arguing over and the things that they were that they were mercilessly persecuting people over was trying to come up with the answer to the question of who Jesus was. Where does he fit in this concoction? Where does he fit in this doctrine? Where does he fit in this triangle that we've made up and borrowed over from all these other false religions? And Jesus stood up on that day and said, I'll tell you who I am. I am Lord. I am the Son of God. I am the one true God who came to this world as a man and died and rose again so that you could be Say, he made sure that they knew who he was. You need to be resolved today that there is but one God 
and his name is Jesus. You say, Brother Jerry, why do you beat that horse all the time? You're preaching to an apostolic church. I'm telling you, if the devil can get you off of that foundation, he don't have to do any more work on you. And I've come to tell you today, there's just one God, and Jesus is his name. When you pray, you better pray in the name of Jesus. When you're baptized, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Everything you do, Jezebel in 
No, I won't be there. So, who is she? Why does the Lord draw up this memory from Scripture? Go with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 16 where we find her walking onto Scripture's pages. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30, these are the section of the Bible you know, that, that lists out the kings of Israel and of Judah and the things that they did and did not do and most of it's bad. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30 says that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass. I mean, this is how the, the story starts out. This is the most wicked king we've ever had. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of the box. He basically says, as if he wasn't bad enough already. As if he had not done enough sinful things already that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. That was the capital city. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And if you're a Bible scholar, you'll see that was a pretty amazing feat. <laughs> Ahab he started out bad. He started out on the evil in the evil bucket right out of the gate. But Jezebel has made sure that what was bad became the worst ever. You know what's interesting about this? I was I was reading this when I was studying, and I never really thought about this before because most times when you hear that insult, oh, she looks like a Jezebel. That there's kind of usually a connotation that that maybe it's in a you know, a, a not really godly way, but there's usually a connotation that she's attractive in some kind of ungodly way. And yet, the scripture never mentions anything that would say she was attractive at all. Never mentions her being fair to look upon or, you know, her looks being seductive in any way. But she did have a very commanding personality. She was a bully. What she wanted, she got. Where she wanted to go, she went. And what she wanted to run and be in charge of, she was in charge of because Ahab very quickly and all along she just became a puppet. Yes, sir. He was one of those. Whatever you want. The Bible tells us also that she painted her face. That's usually where that whole reference to someone looking like a Jezebel comes from. The Bible says that she painted her face. And all throughout Scripture, a woman that painted her face, it was always a sign of very loose morals. And then, not surprisingly, at the end of her day, she would die a very horrible death eaten by dogs. So, how does that church enroll compared to something like this? Well, they bullied, they persecuted other people into submission. They got what they wanted by force. They seduced people into following false doctrines like the Trinity, like 
serving and worshiping idols to creating things like confessionals and priests that can forgive sin instead of God. Why go to God? You can just go to a man. They come up with things like purgatory. You just give enough money. Well, we can, we can buy you out of hell. Something called transubstantiation, which is a long multiple syllable word that there was some concoction that when you take communion that the bread that you put in your mouth literally turns to the body of Jesus Christ and you eat it. And then there was immaculate conception, which is this false doctrine that said that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was born without sin, which flies in the face of just about everything in Scripture. This is what that church did in those early days, but, but, but that's enough of a history lesson about the church in Rome. What, what does all of that have to do with us? Because we don't teach those doctrines, and, and we don't believe in those doctrines. You, folks, you're going to the wrong church this morning if you've come looking for that. Because we're never going to teach that stuff because it's false and it's a lie. So what does this letter have any relevance for us today? He said, God said, I've got this against you because you've suffered Jezebel to teach and seduce thy servants to, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Remember, there's nothing more foundational to who we are than the fact that there is one God. There is no other God. And all throughout Scripture, the thing that would make God angry faster than anything else. If you wake up with some wild hair that you want to figure out how to tick God off fast, just go off and serve another God. Because the thing that always lit the, the eyes of fire was idolatry. It was serving false gods. You want to know how important it is? In, in the book of Acts chapter 15, we, we find ourselves in, in the place in history where, where Gentiles are being saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, folks like you and me, that, that, that were raised up following the law of Moses before, before the Lord came and died and rose again. And it caused a conflict in the church because of the Jews that had, had prayed through and been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, they, they could not let go of that law. They could not let go of, of its customs and, it, and its rules. And they believed that, yes, Gentiles could be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but they also needed to obey the law. And so it became this big controversy that had to be dealt with, and so they had a big business meeting. You didn't think there were business meetings in the book of Acts, did you? They got together, they had a business, theological business meeting. They decided what they were going to do, and this is what they did. Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. What things? That you abstain from meats, offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. For which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. Now, now, some of you are old enough to remember folks that kind of extracted the scripture and made the false doctrine a long, long time ago. This scripture is not saying this is the only thing you've got to do. Don't worry about anything else. Just don't eat stuff offered to idols and don't commit fornication and you're going to be alright. That's not what it says at all. You keep on studying that scripture and it says they've got synagogues in their cities. 
And they're going to go there every week and they're going to hear the Word of God and they're going to learn how you want to live. That must be why when Peter gave them Acts chapter 2 verse 38, there was 39 and 40 and 41 and, and with many other words the Bible says. It's not the only thing that you've got to do to please the Lord with your life, but it is the fundamental thing. It is the first thing that you've got to get right. It is the primary thing in your life that you completely turn yourself away from idols. Jew or Gentile, you understand there's one God and Him alone do you serve and you put fornication out of your life. You put gross immorality out of your life. You stop living the way that you used to live. And you work to keep yourself pure. Fundamental teachings of the church are right there smack in the middle of the book of Acts. You can't get around it. You don't have to wait till the book of Jude for it to show up in the church. It's right there in its infancy. But then by the time the John's an old man, he's writing to this church in Thyatira. Jezebel has shown back up. And what was she teaching? Idolatry fornication. Idolatry. Fornication. Now, there's, there's no way that you and I would serve all this, right? I mean, I, I don't really believe anybody in this building today has got a statue in their closet, and when you go home, you're going to start worshiping idols. I don't believe that at all. So, go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I'm going to read a handful of verses here to you, and Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He's making a connection from the modern-day church all the way back to what happened in Israel in the Old Testament. He said, we've all, we've all been baptized into one body. We've all been filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So got to do with us. Says now these things were our examples. They were our examples that we, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ. Also they, they also tempted and were destroyed in serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's us. We are the church upon whom the end of the world has come. We are the last church name. We are the one that is this 
patiently as best we can, waiting on that rapture trumpet to sound and come and take us to be home. But the Apostle Paul writes to the church, that same church that you and I are a part of, and said, I want you to remember something. God gave us an example all the way back in the wilderness that our lust can lead us to idolatry. And he says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as common man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that he may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. What is idolatry? It's not just worshiping and bowing down to a statue made from wood or made with stone. Idolatry is when anything, anything takes the place of God. It doesn't matter whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial. It doesn't matter what it is. If it gets in God's seat, if it takes God's place in your life, it is idolatry and you have forsaken your God. God says, thou shalt not, but you know what I say. God says, you can't have her, but, but I want her. God says, you can't have him, but I want him. God says, don't touch it, but Mama says, I can't. Once, anything, anybody, gets in God's place, it's idolatry. We think over there in that history lesson, what did that church start to do? It tried as best it could to remove Jesus out of the place that he was in. Oh, you don't need to pray to God. You need to pray to something just a little bit less than God. Oh, you don't even need to pray to that. You just need to pray to the Virgin Mary. You just need to pray for her. She'll be your intermediary. Oh, you don't even need to pray to her. You can just come to the priest, and the priest can take care of all those sins. And oh, even if you didn't get around to that in your lifetime, somebody can just, just pray and make some donations after your goal, and we'll get you out. They were putting everything and anything into God's place so that you would not serve Him and serve Him alone. I know we're not going to that church. I know we're not following in those doctrines. But the Bible written to the church says if you're standing, take heed lest you fall. Because we can allow the very lusts of our flesh to stand in God's place and cause us to lose our soul. Amen. God had called Israel out of Egypt to serve Him and to serve Him alone. But what did they do? They followed their flesh. They rose up to play. They got up to go and do the things that they knew their God would not allow. They followed their flesh. And following their flesh meant that they were going to have to serve another God. Because what they wanted was not what God allowed. 
what pleased them was not what pleased God. So what did they do? They went and found themselves a preacher. They went and they got Aaron and they said, Aaron, get up and make us a God. Amen. They took off their earrings. They took off their jewelry. They put them into the fire. He melted them down. He made a big shiny gold cow. And they all bowed down and worshipped him and committed all manner of iniquity at the base of that idol. The moment you make up in your mind, I've got to have what my flesh wants instead of what God says, it is in that moment that you must serve another God. Does this have to do with Jezebel? Idolatry is all through the Old Testament. I mean, it's not a new thing. What's it have to do with her? Jezebel was an idolater. So were many people in Scripture. She was immoral. So were a lot of women in Scripture. She was wicked. So were a lot of people. Ahab was wicked before she ever showed up. But instead of Jezebel... Staying out the rest of her days at home with the Zidonians. She married Ahab. Now, Scripture don't give us any indication as to why God's bringing her if he would ever marry her. But he did. Jezebel married Ahab. She married into God's. She married into and became a part of Israel. She wasn't even content as well to serve her God by herself. It's not like, oh yeah, 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 I was married and everything was nice and rich and, and, and we have a good relationship, but I was, I'll keep my God over here and, and, and you folks just do what you do. You keep on serving your God. Oh no. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for Jezebel to live in her own idolatry and sin. She led Israel astray. So what happened to her? Back in 1 Kings chapter 18, you see, she was such a bully. She was so powerful. She was so wicked. Virtually no one stood up to her. Except the prophet Elijah. Oh, she hated him. Serve the wrong God. You'll learn to hate the voice of heaven speaks truth. Yeah. If you're following after your flesh, and the only thing you're concerned about is your flesh, you're never going to like what the pastor preaches. Because the word of God don't jive with my flesh. I'm supposed to crucify it for me. First Kings chapter 18, verse 19. Prophet Elijah is the one talking here. He says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. How in the world did Israel wind up with hundreds and hundreds of false prophets and priests because Jezebel wronghold. She fed them. She kept them up. She supported them. She protected them. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. But here's where we see what really happened in Israel. Elijah came to all the people and said, 
How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not the word. See, remember that last church, that, that, whole, that whole story about Balaam? I, I could just change my position a little bit. I could just change my perspective. I could just find another way to make it work out. I could just talk my pastor into seeing it my way. And, and we know there's no other way to look at the truth. But in the end, what did Balaam get them to do? He got them to sin against God. He got them to follow after their flesh. What did Jezebel do? She moved her God into the neighborhood. Balaam got them to, to visit the city. Jezebel moved it in. And when she got there, because one might think, you know, why didn't she just go out and kill them all? I'm sure she killed plenty. Why did it take her so long to, to put a death sentence on top of Elijah's head? Because as long as they kept their mouths shut, they weren't public enemy number one. As long as Elijah was hanging out on the backside of nowhere and not rising up telling somebody they were wicked and they were sinful, oh, what's the big deal? You see, by the time this day came to pass, Israel was going to both houses. They struggled up in the house of God and they offered their sacrifice unto Jehovah and they would worship Him and they would sing His songs and they would proclaim His praises. But then when service let out on Sunday afternoon, all they did was go change their clothes and head on down the street to Baal's house. Because the Jehovah God may have been the one that gave us his land and he may have been the one that blessed us and protected us and it may have been the one that gave us victory over our enemies. He's the one that's kept us here thus far. He's the one that brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. But Baal lets me do what I want to do. Baal lets me live how I want to live. Baal lets me have what I want to have. And Jezebel came in and seduced them to believe you can have it both ways. <laughs> there are plenty of folks that don't want God and don't want to live right and come to the church and say, oh no, that ain't for me. And they go on back living in sin. But it's a different story entirely when you can come to an apostolic church and sit on the pews week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, but keep on living the sinful life that you're living and be all right with it. Because Jezebel has convinced you, I can worship God, I can give Him praises, I can go to that right church, but I can live wrong. Balaam convinced them to come over to Moab and sin. Jezebel moved Come to tell you today, there ain't no room in God's house for Jezebel. 
This ain't a story about Jezebel, but there was a time because of Israel's sin, the Ark of the Covenant, that piece of furniture that symbolized God's abiding presence, it got into the hands of the enemy. And because they were ignorant Gentiles, they took it and they stuck it in the house of their God. A big old statue there. I don't remember what it looked like from what I read. Just some big old statue there in some house somewhere in the middle of the land of the Philistines. And the next morning when the priests showed up to do their false idolatrous work, they found that the, the statue was laid over on the ground. Oh, it must have just failed. It must have just been the wind that blew too hard last night. So they propped it back up. And the next morning they came in there. It was all the way down to the ground. And the head and the hands were locked off that thing. And it was in pieces. Why? Because there's only room for one God in God's house. You want to go to the other church? These doors are open to everybody. But they come to tell you the only people that are going to walk on the streets of coal, the only people that are going to see walls of Jasper and gates of pearl, the only ones that are ever going to leave this earth are going to be those that only serve Him and Him alone. They made up in their mind when this word contradicts my flesh, I'll take God. When this book says, I can't live that way anymore, I'm going to lay it down and stop living that way. I can't have the world and have God, so I choose God. Yes. <coughs> I don't need the rest of the world to tell us how the church works because they're not the church. I don't need what this world has to see souls saved. My Bible tells me what it takes to see souls saved. I don't need a new formula. I don't need a new doctrine. I don't need a new perspective. All I need is to stand on the fact that if you repent of your sins, if you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins will be washed away and you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And if you stay in the church, one day when that trumpet sounds, your feet are going to leave this earth and you're going to be in heaven. That's all I need. He said, what you've got, hold on to it. What I gave you, don't let it go. Yes, amen. There's only one way to heaven. And I can't serve God. Serve myself. I can't have what God wants for me. And have what I want for me. God don't take orders from me. Take orders from me. It's all or nothing. It's one or the other. You've got to choose. Elijah said, make up in your mind. If you want bail, then go have at it. Stop going to God's house. Destroy it on the street. To your flesh. He said, if you're going to serve us, serve it all. The all your mind and all of your soul. All the way back where we started. Be so kind of see. Verse 21. The Lord says that I gave her space to repent of her fornication. If you've been serving flesh, 
Good thinking you can have it both ways. I'll get what I want out of life. I'll sow my wild oats. I'll have my fun. And I'll come back to God later. Maybe you will. I don't know. But he said, I'm giving her a space to repent. To all of us, God's given a space. Even to Jezebel. God gave her a space to repent. She forbid God. Behold, I'll cast her into a bed. The other committed adultery with her into great tribulation. He said they repented their deeds. The day's coming, and I believe it's very soon. This world's going to enter great tribulation. <laughs> it's going to enter into trouble such as has never been seen on this earth. And those that believed they can serve themselves and hold on to God are going to find themselves right in the middle of it. But to those that repent now, to those that will come down to this altar today, to those that will lay down their life and say, God, I don't care what I have to lay down. God, it doesn't matter to me what you want to change. There's nothing more important than you. There is no other God but you. I want to live according to your word. I want to live in your blessings. I want to live under your mercy. To those that repent now, they'll be saved. Verse 25 again said, But that which you have already, hold fast. Till I come. We've got enough truth. We've got enough revelation. We've got enough understanding to get from here to heaven. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll be saved. There's no other way. That's the only message. There's only one God. There's not another. Would you come? Somebody come and touch God. Somebody come. Let hell reach down to where you're at and pick you up. Come and repent. Come and make a decision to be baptized in Jesus' name. Come and give your life to God now while you still got time. While that space is open, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus.